This is Recep. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As we celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, a new report zeroes in on the toll anti-Asian discrimination has taken on AAPI communities. Research from the nonprofit Stop AAPI Hate found that nearly half of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the U.S. experienced discrimination and reported that more than 11,000 hate incidents since the start of the pandemic. Now, people in AAPI communities are experiencing this treatment in places like work, restaurants, and even schools. And on top of seeing countless attacks against their community, young AAPI students were confronted with an onset of academic, social, and emotional challenges during the pandemic. So we wanted to take some time here on Reset to check in with AAPI students about what it was like having to take on those heavy issues and how they're seeking out help and pushing for change. With us now in studio is Kashya Prajesh, a junior at Stevenson High School in North Suburban Lincolnshire. Welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Kashab, do you remember how you were feeling and, and what was going through your head when you first heard about targeted attacks against Asian people? Yeah, so, you know, the whole anti-Asian sentiment concern isn't new. You know, historically we've seen, um, you know, the Asian American Pacific Islander community been historically marginalized and discriminated against. But it was only recently after, you know, post-pandemic that we've seen, you know, a recent rise in um you know, hate crimes and anti-Asian attacks, um, especially, you know, you know, fueled by like misinformation online um, and all that. And so it was particularly concerning as an Asian American student to, you know, attend school and also on one hand, you know, balancing like academics, but at the same time, um, having that sort of like identity to also hold uphold as mm-hmm. an Asian American student. And so, you know, it's been particularly scary that to see, you know, that that this community has been targeted so much. Yeah, what was your fear? You, you mentioned, you know, at, at the same time, I also had to go to school. Yeah. What was your fear? So, like, personally, I, per, like, I go to a pretty, like, you know, well-off school that doesn't, nece- I don't necessarily deal with, um, you know, direct discrimination. But that's because I align myself and connect with, you know, like-minded peers and, you know, our teachers respect that and our school promotes that sort of community. But, you know, there are many schools and, um, you know, students nearby me that I've interacted with that don't necessarily have that opportunity yeah. to actually c- connect with those, like, you know, peers. And so they often feel that, you know, either their name is being butchered or their teachers aren't treating them fairly. Um, and so, you know, these concerns go much, they, they transcend just school. You know, it's this feeling of isolation online, you know, at home um, that these students are facing. And I think it's all been ultimately, you know, fueled by, you know, the post-pandemic uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I imagine you were having conversations then with your peers about these attacks, right? What what else was were folks saying? Yeah, I think one of the biggest stereotypes that students are facing right now is almost the model minority myth. That myth that, you know, students and Asian American students specifically are expected to live up to, you know, that perfection that or that, you know, proving themselves academically. And I think that's particularly scary because, you know, um with that, like, not only does it alienate those communities, but it adds additional emphasis and pressure on for those students um, to live up to those, whether it be at home or at school. And when that happens, not only does that make them feel more anxious amongst their peers, but it also definitely, you know, furthers um, and hurts their mental health and anxiety. So I want to play a clip for us. This is uh, Sabrina Su. She's a Chinese-Malaysian-American grad from... Uh, Indiana University. Mm -hmm. Now, a student was stabbed multiple times in the head while riding a bus in Bloomington, Indiana, back in 2021. You may remember having heard that story. Also, back in 1999, a Korean student was killed in a racially motivated attack outside a Korean United Methodist Church. Now, Sabrina lived in front of that church when she was a student. 
I remember I would look out my window, I would look at his memorial plaque that I could see, and I would think, it's been 20 years, how are we still living like this? How is this still happening to Asian Americans around the world? So, Kasia, it sounds like she's uh, sharing some of the same sentiments here. What's your reaction to what she had to say? No, yeah, it's it's honestly very disturbing that, you know, these concerns are still, you know, we're, we're in the 21st century and th- these concerns are still so prevalent and that, you know, even in the early stages of the pandemic, there was this misinformation and speculation surrounding the origins of the virus and this led to the scapegoating of Asian communities, you know, particularly those of East Asian descent. But, you know, even after that, the negative stereotypes and xenophobic narratives falsely linking Asian Americans with the spread of the virus gained traction. So I think that's, you know, almost as a, serves as like a pretty root cause for the rise in anti-Asian sentiment and the same concerns that, you know, she's feeling, you know, today. There's so so many layers here. You mentioned the word identity earlier, Kashyap. Yeah. There are a lot of conversations that are happening in the Asian American community around identity. Is your identity as an Indian American, is mm-hmm. that something that you feel is important to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and I think, why? Yeah, so... I think a lot of times, you know, Asian Americans specifically, they come to the U.S. and they feel the need to assimilate um, into American culture. And so we often see people um, you know, either maybe changing their names or shortening their names to more Americanized versions to mm-hmm. kind of assimilate themselves into the American culture. And um, that's something that I've also had to deal with. My full name, Kashyap, is pretty long and often difficult to pronounce. And we've seen that I've, I've actually experienced people calling me ketchup. And, you know, um, personally to me, you know, it's... You know, it's it sucks that people aren't able to pronounce those long names, and so I've actually changed. How do my... you handle that? Yeah, I mean, t- like I said, to me, it it is it doesn't bother me that much because I've grown up with that, and I've grown up seeing that um that that's what you have to deal with today. And so um then I shortened my name to Kash, and so people at school call me Kash. But you know, you should also teach them how to pronounce your name the proper way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I see we see that you know a lot of Asian American students with maybe little harder to pronounce names. Um, often shorten their names or change mm-hmm. their names in order to assimilate. And I think that name is like such an important part of cultural identity. And when people don't embrace that and where, or if they're scared to actually embrace their cultural identity through their name, then I think that speaks volume to how how we need to actually shift the stereotype and shift the way that you know students and Asian Americans um, are treated and the, and the opportunities they have to actually you know, embrace their identity at schools and outside of schools as well. Do you feel like you're able to fully embrace your Indian American identity at school? Yeah. So our, my schools particularly, we have the opportunity to, like, embrace our cultures through, like, events. Um, Do you have a large Asian yeah, American yeah. representation? Yeah. I think that's partly, Yeah, I think that's partly the reason why that we, we I've been able to actually connect with my Indian American identity at school because we have these large events like Asian American Student Association Night, World's Fair Night, where we're all – where they're bringing together these large, this large Asian American student community to embrace our culture and connect with one another, with one another. But unfortunately, I think that's pretty isolated to just my school. And I know I've interacted with students, like you know, across Chicago, across the country, for that matter, who don't have those same experiences. And um, like personally, for me, I've sought out those like-minded communities, places that have similar yeah. values to mine, and you know, have kept me from being exposed to prejudice and you know, worse. Yeah. But unfortunately, some students just aren't able to. And, you know, our school places a lot of emphasis on Asian American history. And especially after the Teach Act was passed in 2021, our like history curriculum has been modified to actually adopt that. But, you know, a lot of schools... that doesn't happen everywhere. Exactly. A lot of schools, they don't, they are opposed to teaching, you know, that sort of like that that sort of content, that sort of history, because they're just a feel, they're just afraid of intolerance. And so Mm. um, I think that speaks, you know, once again, volumes to 
how like yeah like my school is different but there are a lot of schools in the area and around the country that unfortunately don't have that same opportunity now you were in school kashap during the pandemic uh, so you know the struggle of, of virtual learning that whole time where you weren't able to see your friends every day in person right yeah um and those challenges they were compounded with seeing your community experiencing violence and, and some of the discrimination that we've been talking about how did you personally navigate all of those things at the same time no, yeah, it was, it was definitely very difficult, and I think that you know a lot of times, like our te- like our generation, teenagers, Gen Z, like we rely a lot on social media and technology um, to express our concerns and to really like navigate this like these difficult times, and so we find a lot of us scrolling on TikTok or Instagram. But you know what I realized is that you know maybe going on social media is actually going to make this a lot worse, and that you know the whole mental health like epidemic that we're seeing post pandemic has been like aggravated and worsened. Because of social media, and you know these social media algorithms, they actually like, inadvertently contribute to the spread of hateful rhetoric. Oh, they're so terrible. They're terrible, and like you know, we see echo chambers and confirmation bias and targeted advertising, all of which are actually creating like individuals are exposed to the content that reinforces their biases or stereotypes about the AIPI community. And mm. when they're per- like repeatedly exposed to that sort of content, this may perpetuate like negative stereotypes and actually contribute larger to the spread of hateful speech. And we've seen, you know, politicians and other like big leaders that have actively used their voice against the AAPI community on social media platforms. And, you know, th- this kind of amplifies extremist content that is pretty yeah. dangerous to one's mental health. And it's, it's unfortunate, you know, teenagers think that this like that there's their outlet is me- social media and TikTok and Instagram. But unfortunately, that isn't necessarily an outlet. They're addicted, though, Kashyap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they grew up in the era of, of social media. So in a lot of cases, I feel like it's it's all they know. Yeah. For good and for, for the good and for the bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to go back to something else you, you talked about earlier. You mentioned that model minority yeah. uh, concept. Do you feel the impacts of that myth in oh. school? I mean, that, that stereotype, right, that all Asians are smart, all Asians are successful. They're all hardworking. For sure. Like, like I said, like my school is pretty large, like Asian American population. And so I think that pretty significantly contributes to like the competitive environment, the competitive nature of like the academic environment. And so like I've had experiences where like people come up to be like, you're Indian. Like, why aren't you getting like, uh, you know, an A in this class, you know? And so it's, it's pretty scary that, you know, like we're expected, the Asian American students are expected to live up to that, like to that perfect, like model minority. And um, it's it's difficult not only um, for like the Asian American community, but it also kind of like puts down other communities as well. Yeah, but yeah, it, it certainly does. I want to talk about seeing yourself in the people around you. You've talked about how you feel you know pretty well represented at, at, at school, right? In terms of the adults around you and the students, we are actually seeing more. Asian Americans in the media too, right? So it's it's interesting because if you think back to what we were just talking about, we're talking about Asian people literally being the targets of hate crimes and discrimination. But now we're also seeing this celebration of the community from the general public. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? No, yeah, it's it's pretty complex. It's pretty like difficult to wrap our heads around. You know, the fact that on one end, the rise of anti-Asian sentiment post-pandemic is fueling like, you know, hatred and hate crimes. But on the other end, mm-hmm. we see, you know, for example, um, movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once that won several Oscars, you know, um, The Summer I Turned Pretty, another featuring in Asian um an Asian like the star of the show, you know, and like we see the rise of like representation in the media. Um, so it's, it's it's confusing, but I think that I am optimistic that with the rise of Asian representation, um, that you know, 
soon people will learn to be empathetic and yeah. will learn to actually understand and recognize the Asian American community as one of their own. And, you know, it's important because, you know, the AAPI community is actually, it's increased by, like the population has increased by 175% the last decade. And, you know, with growing... It's growing. It's the fastest growing. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. And with that growing population, there's also growing challenges, but also triumphs. And so, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, with the rise of like Asian American representation in the media, that we can promote um, culturally responsive attitudes and culturally accommodating attitudes amongst people who are watching these shows and people who are watching TV, because I think that's the only way that, you know, widespread we can actually promote um, these sorts of conversations as well. Uh, there continues to be this narrative about how Asian people are not civically engaged, right? They're, they're quiet. They're passive. They don't want to rock the boat. So as a young Asian American who is so not that <laughs> from from this conversation with you, I, I don't get that at all. Um, I think you are involved, right? What do you think about that stereotype? Yeah, I think that's completely false. And I've you know I've worked with so many organizations. Like there's this organization called AAPI Amplified that is actually amplifying AAPI voices. But you know I like to share like my own story. Like I you know as an Asian American student, I led a grassroots campaign to actually establish a mental health board to support community members, and that actually passed a referendum passed by nice. a decisive 15% margin last November. And then I was appointed onto the board as a youth advisor to represent voices of that's the AAPI wonderful. community. And you're going to the National Youth Summit this weekend? Yes. What yeah. are you going to be doing there? Yeah, so that's actually an incredible opportunity, once again, to uplift youth voices and empower, you know, civic, like people who are in, involved in, you know, the civic community. And so I'm traveling to Washington, D.C. on Sunday, um, where I'll actually have the opportunity to meet with my home state senators and representatives to advocate for teen mental health because um, at home I've seen, you know, the concerns and um, just how terrible, you know, students are feeling post-pandemic, especially students of the AAPI community. And so I'm excited to, you know, take my change-making work to Washington, D.C. this weekend and uh, continue, you know, change-making. Wow. Bless you. Kashyap Rajesh is a junior at Stevenson High School in North Suburban Lincolnshire. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Up next, we're going to check in with a parent and a teacher about learning to embrace their identities and battling against Asian stereotypes when they were younger. That's just ahead on Reset. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. During the pandemic, students across the board have struggled with academics, socializing, and mental health. But for Asian American Pacific Islander or AAPI communities... These issues were coupled with rising anti-Asian sentiment and violence. Now, before the break, we heard from the younger AAPI generation about their experiences. But how have issues changed or stayed the same for AAPI communities over the decades? Now we'll turn to a teacher and parent who grew up and went through school in a different time. Here to discuss are Asna Qureshi, a Chicago mother and former teacher. Hey, Asna, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. And Wileen Singh is a Chinese instructor and Asian American literature teacher at Niles West High School. Hi, Wileen. Welcome to the program. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having me. So you both were listening into uh, my conversation with Kashyap earlier about how students have been having to, to navigate the pandemic and also watching this rise in targeted attacks against the communities. Wileen, is this something that you have talked to your students about? Um, yes, definitely. So I teach Asian American literature. Um, our school student population here is about 36% Asian, and we have a high percentage of um, teachers and staff in the school who are also identify as AAPI. And so this comes up a lot, especially during the pandemic year when we were online. Um, we were trying to create 
spaces for students to reach out when, you know, anti-Asian hate rose and the Atlantic shootings happened. Um, all of that was uh, very much in our minds then. Yeah, I can imagine. Asna, you are a parent of two young children. So how have you wrapped your head around this recent rise in attacks? You know, I guess I'm lucky in that my girls are too young to be on social media. And so they themselves are not experiencing it any in that way. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are things at school, right? There are students that will say things. And then I have to deal with not only my own mental health in, in trying to navigate this world, but also trying to help my my daughter, who's currently eight, the older one, navigate all this. And how does she understand what's happening? How do I explain it to her? Um, it, it's been challenging. It's, mm. it's not been easy. Has it affected the way that you raise your children? I know, I've, of course, you, you mentioned they're offline for now. But are you putting practices in place to sort of try to shield them from from information? Um, yes and no. I, I don't want to shield them from information because I want them to be prepared for the day that they have to go out, you know, online in the world. But I am being very careful with how I word things. They, they hear their teachers talking at school. They hear the kids talking. There are so many students at her school that are online. And so there, there are questions that she has. So my goal is not to keep her in the dark. My goal is to educate her so that she can handle everything when it does come. Our producer, Micah, actually spoke to her younger sister, Ava, and she shared about her experience being primarily surrounded by white peers in grade school uh, to having a more diverse friend group in high school. You know, obviously I knew what I was. I was Asian. I'm Filipino. I knew about that, but there was no point in time where I was really, um, it was really a focus in my life. And now that I'm surrounded by people of different cultures, it's kind of like seeing how their own culture impacts them. It's making me realize how much I want my own culture to impact me in that sort of way and how I want to stay close to my own culture and heritage. Asna, what was your experience in high school? Uh, In high school, that was actually the first time that I had people that looked like me. I went to a, a local high school and there was a very large Asian American community. And that was the first time that I really was exposed to it. Were there Pakistani people like you? Yes, yes, there were. There were a lot of Pakistani and Indian students. And it was, it was just the first time that I had been around people that looked like me outside of, you know, my own family. And so I started to kind of come into my own. I, I stopped trying to push away my culture as much. Um, And tried to embrace it more. Of course, that didn't happen fully until I became, you know, more of an adult. But I started to do those things in high school. Wileen, how about you? I'm curious about how connected you felt to your Asian identity when you were a child. So growing up, I um, went to a high school in the far south suburbs that wasn't, that did not have a very large AAPI um, population at all. But my parents were very um, proactive in trying to make sure that I w- had a strong Chinese um, Taiwan identity. And um, actually, I remember my mom, so I grew up in like the 70s and 80s, and my mom bought, um, you know, there were no multicultural Barbies back then. There was just one Barbie. And so she bought me a sheer doll um, and told me to pretend that it was Chinese so that I could um, have something to <laughs> uh, relate to. And so she was really proactive. But um, like I said, there weren't a lot of students that were 
uh, from the same background mm-hmm. when I was growing up a handful of us and not until I got to college. Um, but even then, it was much more about assimilation than it was about like including our stories or including our histories. Tell me more about that, Waleen, because it sounds like maybe your identity of uh, being a Chinese-American became more significant in college in your life. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, I met a lot more people, um, especially, you know, students from the... I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign, and so, you know, there were a lot of kids from the suburbs and other... Um, there was a bigger, much bigger Asian population, and I think that's when I really started realizing. Um, it was actually that coupled with the death of Vincent Chin in 1989, um, which kind of brought my... Um, awareness of my Asian side, my Asian identity. And so that's really when I started kind of realizing that I I had an identity that was separate from what maybe society wanted me to have. And Asna, was it similar for you? Did the significance of your, your Pakistani identity come later in life? Absolutely. I think once you're around people that look like you, it makes it okay to act that way. It wasn't, in my mind, okay to act like a Pakistani person when I was in elementary school, middle school, because if I did, right, I would become a target. And, and what, that do, you, was what the do you last mean by that? Want. What is acting like a Pakistani person? Um, like you eating your traditional foods, culture. maybe? Yeah, not not just eating them, but talking about it, mm-hmm. or talking about you know the, the movies or the the music or the clothes, things like that. It was always something that I wanted to hide. That was something that was done at home. It was not something that was done at school. I see. And so I, I really didn't start to merge that until I was later high school and in college. What goes through your mind then when you see younger people like the voices we heard earlier, Kashyap, Ava, they're embracing their identity at a young age. Oh my God, I love it. It it makes my heart so happy <laughs> um, because my daughter is going to be that, I hope, that as well, that she will be proud of who she is. And I think that's something in particular with this generation. They are very in tune with who they are and their culture and their heritage, and they want to showcase it, which is amazing. And I was a former teacher, so I saw it in my students as well, that they, they really do enjoy to sh- showcase their their identity, showcase who they are. Wileen, your thoughts here, how different do you think that things would be if you had felt that it was okay to embrace your identity when you were their age? Um, I think I always, so my Asian American lit students are, majority of them are um, AAPI students and, you know, micro aggressions are still happening to them and they're still getting, you know, um, buying, people um, see them as a monolith and, and there are, uh, there is trauma in their lives, but I think the fact that just like Asha's saying, like we, they have so much more um, spaces to talk about it. They have the vocabulary to talk about it. I would never be able to say the things or um, have these complex discussions about race and identity when I was in high school. And so it's really exciting to see how much uh, they know and are, are aware of at this age. And so in class, I kind of try to channel that. Um, you know, I always. I tell them to, like, I want them to be curious. I want them to be empathetic. But beyond that, I also want them to figure out their voice and and figure out how they're going to contribute later on because they're growing up in these very supported environments um, with lots of safe spaces around. Um, I just keep asking them, like, okay, so now what are you going to do with all of this stuff that you have um, growing up? Yeah. 
That's wonderful. Well, we just got this comment on our voicemail. This is after our conversation with Kashyap. Let's listen. Hello, my name is Tarek. I'm listening with great interest to this young man, Kashyap, from Stevenson High School. I actually went to Stevenson High School at the time of 9-11, and I'm a Pakistani-American man, and when I was there, I was discriminated against, and uh, I was actually physically assaulted during one of my gym classes and called a terrorist. And uh, that time, none of the teachers said or did anything, and I was too afraid to take it to the principal or the dean, and I kind of kept that uh, shut up within myself. So I'm very proud of uh, Kashyap and his uh, fellow students for speaking up about this important uh, issue. And while the discrimination may still exist and still be going on, I'm glad to see that our younger generation is speaking up and standing up for themselves. And uh, I can only hope that the teachers and administration at Stevenson are doing the same. So we're talking about what's changed and what hasn't. And our caller, Tarek, really underscores that in his message. You know, the uh, same high school as our previous guest, but I think what he points out is an interesting point, that this generation is more likely to speak out. Uh, does that ring true to you, Asna? Oh, it does, yeah. And uh, one thing that I will say is this generation is much more likely to speak out and they're they're much more well versed you know when i was in high school i was not paying attention to the news as much as these kids are now but i find it troubling that while there have been a lot more aapi students there's a lot more diversity in schools it's not always reflected in the teachers and the administration and so the students are really coming out and coming into their own but they're not always receiving that the, the support that mm-hmm. they would need from their school. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're, we're talking about how identity issues for Asian American and Pacific Islander students and adults have changed or stayed the same over the decades. With us are Wileen Singh, who's a Chinese instructor and Asian American literature teacher at Niles West High School, and Asna Qureshi, who's a Chicago mom and also a former teacher. Let's talk a little bit more about stereotypes here. Uh, One of them is that model minority myth that all Asians are smart or successful. Wileen, is that something that you see in your classroom and school? Uh, Yeah, 100%. I think that... um, there are, you know, again, even though we are such a diverse school with such a high Asian population, I think that there are a lot of people who kind of see them as this big group of students and totally buy into that model minority myth and think that they're doing fine, or they see them all as kind of the same. And so, you know, when you see them all as the same, you you diminish all of their unique things. You know, some of them are from immigrant families, mm-hmm. and some are from refugee families. Some are multiracial, some are adopted, some are, you know, first-generation college students, some have been here for many generations. And so all of those things, um, you know, all those nuances get lost when people just see them as like, oh, they're doing fine. And then also support for them doesn't always come to people's minds, I think, immediately. And sometimes I think the students buy into that as well, so then maybe they're not as willing to ask for help when they need it because maybe they also feel like they should be doing fine. Or And they put um, lots of pressure on themselves, too. Uh, we got a, a comment from a student named Jenny Yang. Well, she actually just graduated from Indiana University this year, and she talked about how um, she, she had what was called a crippling expectation of herself. She said, quote, I remember getting a C in Algebra 2 and having an absolute meltdown 
Does that resonate with you, Wileen? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think that they they expect the same um, thing that, you know, this generalization of the model, like that every student out there is getting, you know, all the good grades and going to all the good schools, but um, that's such a small percentage of them. And I think that because these stereotypes keep getting perpetuated, um, it does end up really being a hard thing for the kids. And, you know, then we talk about mental health for young Asian Americans. I think, um, you know, death by suicide is the highest, is the number one cause of death for young Asian Americans. But we're also the group that has the um, fewest, we reach out for mental health services. Yeah. I think it's the least population, right? So um, there's a lot of that as well, because then we're not reaching out for help when we really need it, because we're thinking, oh, our problems maybe are not as important as other people's problems, or I should be able to handle it, or um, that invisibility kind of, I think, is crippling. Mm. I think she said it well. Sabrina Su is a graduate of Indiana University who now lives and works in San Francisco, which has a, a much larger Asian population. Now, she grew up in Indiana, which, for context, it had a population of nearly 159,000 Asians in 2020, compared to over 3,000, 300,000, rather, in San Francisco. Uh, here's a little bit of what she says about how she continues to feel the model minority myth. So instead of a classmate or a professor really buying into the myth, it's coworkers or managers. So, Asna, we've talked about this model minority myth still having an effect on students today. Uh, how about you? Did you feel that in your classroom when you were a teacher? I did. And actually, I taught math. Um, so it it seemed to be coming a lot from teachers where not only were they trying to hold Asian American students to a higher standard, right? Assuming that they could go into a more challenging math than they were ready for. Yeah. But then they would also punish them more harshly for not meeting that goal. So you're going to expect more of these kids, but then you're also going to judge them more harshly than you would say a student that was black or white because you expect them to do much better. And it, it was a struggle as one of the few, um, non-Caucasian teachers at my school, I, I found myself kind of in that unique position where a lot of the students would come to me with these types of struggles. And, you know, it it was unfortunate that they were going through something similar that to what I went through when yeah. I was in high school. You know, Wiley, in states like Illinois, they've mandated Asian American history as parts of school curriculum. Uh, you teach Asian American literature. So what is that like as an AAPI educator? You're now teaching AAPI related coursework that you probably didn't have a chance to learn when you were in school. Um, yeah, it's basically the class that I wish I had when I was in high school. So um, prior to the pandemic, we had already had Asian American history as a course. And we're really lucky. I think we're the only high school in the area the Chicago area that have both Asian American history and Asian American literature. Usually these classes are not offered until college level. And so yeah. um, we're really lucky with that. So pre-pandemic, we already had the history course. And then during pandemic, when we were all at home, um, you know, I just, I thought, oh, I'm going to go ahead and propose this Asian American literature course. And really it's the class that I wish I had taught or that I had um, been able to take when I was in high school. It's we've, really exciting. We've come full circle, I guess, yeah. with, with uh, yeah. representation in curriculum. Right, Asna? Yeah. We're getting there. 
getting there. We're not quite there yet, but we are definitely working our way there. Progress. Yes. <laughs> Progress, slowly but surely. We'll have to leave it there. Asna Qureshi is a Chicago mother and former teacher. Wileen Singh is a Chinese instructor and Asian-American literature teacher at Niles West High School. Thank you both so much.